Please take your Bibles with me and return to our study of Romans chapter 5. As we do every week as a church, you'll notice you probably get in your email a little email about preparing for worship on Sunday morning, and we sent that out as well this week. I hope you've had an opportunity to read the passage that we'll be looking at this morning. It is, um, if you look in commentaries, if you read some of the theologians uh, of our day, you'll notice that they say this is one of the most difficult passages in all of the Bible, and I found that to be true. I hope I can bring some sense of understanding to it in our time this morning as we spend our time looking at it uh, both this week and next so that we have an understanding of the mind and the heart of the Apostle Paul which really is the mind and the heart of the Holy Spirit as he has given it to Paul to give to us so that we would understand God all the more. So if you would this morning as we begin allow me to read for us verses 12 through 21 of chapter 5 and then we'll bow for a word of prayer that God ask God to attend to our time beginning in verse 12 therefore just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned for until the law sin was in the world but sin is not imputed when there is no law Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as those as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we bow once again as we open Your Word together. We know that we need Your understanding. We know that our minds are limited. We are not infinite as you are, your understanding, your wisdom is far beyond anything we could ever imagine or think. And so help us this morning in our own understanding to see you, to truly understand you and not, and knowing that all confusion may not, in fact, be gone in our hearts and minds, but that problem is not a problem with you, it is a problem with us. 
So help us, Lord, understand these things that we might see You in all of Your glory and what You have granted to us in Your Son, Jesus Christ, by faith. That we might be children of Yours, living out what we know to be true and what is true in us, all to the glory of Your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I hope you see upon reading this text, if you have not done so previously, that very quickly you realize that the Apostle Paul is still not satisfied. And as actually, as I said, the Holy Spirit is leading the Apostle Paul. So we could even say that the Holy Spirit is not yet satisfied in revealing that the whole mind of God on this doctrine of justification. They are not satisfied with finishing for us the explanation that we have begun from verse 1 concerning the absolute and unchanging nature of our eternal security by faith in Jesus Christ. Eternal security and the nature of eternal security seems to be a doctrine that is very difficult for some to embrace. And yet right here, In chapter 5, the Apostle Paul has met it head on so that we who believe in Jesus Christ by faith would not have to deal or struggle with that reality. And he is yet not satisfied fully that we, as those who are readers of what is written, get it, that we understand it all. that we understand that the righteousness of Christ has been reckoned to our spiritual account if we believe in Him who raised Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead. This is exactly what it says in chapter 4 and verse 24. For our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord We believe in what God has said concerning His Son and what God has accomplished on behalf of us by way of His Son. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and because of that, we are made righteous by believing in Him. It is declared to us the crushing and yet profoundly gracious truth that Jesus Christ was delivered up because of our transgression. Not because of His, not because of something that was attributed to Him by way of His own very nature, but because of our transgressions. Verse 25 of chapter 4, He was delivered over because of our transgressions. Now, there are many in the world... And incredibly and sadly, even some in the evangelical church who do not believe that. They do not believe that they need a Savior. They do not believe that they are, in fact, guilty before a holy God. They do not believe that they will one day face a divine tribunal in which their life will be weighed in the scale of holy justice. 
They do not believe that their lives deserve to be judged. Some even believe they do not sin. Or, if they do, they do not call it sin. They simply call it a part of the evolutionary process by which they are growing in better and better ways. Man is, after all, they say, getting better every day. And so, even if there is a God, He would not judge us. All men, in the end, they say, are going to be accepted into God's heaven. This is the philosophy of the world. But I can assure you this very day that God has given every person who has ever taken a gracious breath of air into their created lungs undeniable proof that they are not just sinners in action but they are guilty of sin by their very nature. It is not the sin that they commit that is the proof that they are guilty before God. It is not that man is a liar or that man cheats and robs and steals from his own fellow man. That is proof. The proof that does not lie That man is increasingly selfish every day. The undeniable proof that all people are guilty before God and that all people are guilty as sinners before God is the fact that from the very moment that we are born, we begin to die. We are born dying. Next time you are speaking with someone concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ and you are struggling to help them understand that they are sinners and you find it difficult to get them to understand that and thereby that they are guilty before God, ask them if they are going to die. Someone who says to me, I am not a sinner, no, I don't do that, I don't do that, and I don't do that, I like to now ask them, are you going to die Why? Because there is no denying the fact. There is no denying the reality of a coming physical death. Death is a universal reality for all people. Define them as you wish. doesn't matter if they are rich or poor. doesn't matter if they are educated or uneducated does not matter if they are young or old. It does not matter if they are good or not good, moral or amoral. We all die. We all die. Why? Because sin is universal. It's universal to all people. And it is universal to all people. Why? Because all of us, were in Adam, in the garden, as Adam sinned against God. This is known as the doctrine of original sin. The doctrine of original sin. Adam was our representative head. 
And in the economy of God, we were all there with and in Adam. And to deny it is to try to deny the reality of death itself. If you are innocent, then why are you going to die? This is even the very reason that infants die. This is the drive of what Paul is saying to us in this text. The absolute security of salvation in Jesus Christ is as certain as physical death is to all of humanity. Let me say that again. The absolute security of your salvation by faith in Jesus Christ is as certain as death is to all humanity. There were some to whom Paul was writing, and I believe here in particular it was some Jews who had gotten saved, who truly believed in Jesus Christ. They're now in the new church, and they're trying to yet remain with this idea that works has something to do with it. There were even those who were in the church that thought that works was how you got saved. Those who tied themselves to the rule book of do's and don'ts for justification before God. We've, we've talked about that at length in our early part of the study of chapter 5. They're having a very hard time resting in the reality of eternal security. And they wonder if they truly have peace with God, as Paul has said. And Paul says, by faith, we have peace with God, verse 1 of chapter 5. That is a declaration about what comes by means of justification. Having been justified by faith, the result is you have peace with God. And not only do we have peace with God, but in Christ. Through our union with Jesus Christ, an actual union in the economy of God as God sees us, we have been granted not only peace with God, but we have been granted full access into the place of grace. And so when... The challenges of life come because we are Christians, because we are identified with Christ, because we are living with and for Jesus Christ, we can and ought to rejoice. Why? Because we know, by way of our understanding of the very nature and character of God and who God has told us who He is and showed us who He is, that what He has allowed in our lives is for our growth and for our good and for His glory for our endurance so that we can rightly boast about God in all places because we have been indeed reconciled. He has accomplished all of that on our behalf. And yet, some still doubt their security in Christ. Even though Paul was declaring this to these believers that he is writing to, some doubt their security in Christ. Even as I say that right here this morning, and you truly know Jesus Christ by faith, some of us even have a difficulty with resting in our security in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, let me just show you how secure you are 
And I'm going to do that, he says, by comparing the universality of sin and death with the universality of righteousness and life. Sin and death are universal to all men. I was thinking about this and I thought, man, we might even want to say this and, and use this as a comparison of our human DNA with our spiritual DNA. This is the reality and the difference of it all. There is a massive difference between the reality of our humanity and what we gain by being in Adam and what we are by being in Christ. And so first, I just want to this morning unfold a little bit, if I can, to try to make this clear for us by looking at this human DNA, this first aspect that Paul deals with, the reality, the universality of sin and death. Notice what he says in verses 12 through 14. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law was in the world, there was sin. It wasn't imputed when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. This is, all, this is the only part we're going to cover this morning. There's just too much here to move on. But here's the reality of the human DNA, and it's undeniable. We are sinners... And we are sinners by our very nature because we sinned in Adam and because of that we all die. In other words, there are only two strands of human DNA nomenclature. And those strands are this, sin and death. Sin and death. We are all of the same essential makeup. And you cannot escape it, and you cannot, with intellectual honesty, deny it. Why? Because we are all headed for physical death. Hebrews 9.27 puts it very clear. It has been appointed once for men to die. There is a coming appointment for every human. It's in our DNA. You can try as you want to escape it. You can try, as many do, to prolong the reality of it. But that day is coming. We are going to die. And we are going to die because that is the payment for sin. Romans 6.23, Paul will get into it in our next chapter. For the wages of sin is death. You cannot escape it. The paycheck is coming. It may be a deferred payment in the temporal sense of the word here on this earth, but the payment is coming. Therefore, there is an inevitable death coming which proves unequivocally that we are all sinners. The only people who die are sinners. Someone who says, I don't sin, I say, then don't die. It's an impossibility. Many try. 
Many run for miles on treadmills and around blocks and try to run around cars and hundreds and thousands of miles and push weights all over the place and do everything they can to, to ensure a long or longer life. And yet the reality is an end always comes. All people will one day die and therefore that shows that all people are sinners. That's our condition from the very moment we enter into the world. Someone will say, but that baby has not sinned. That young child, that young infant has not sinned. And what they mean is, how can that baby be guilty of sin? They have not lived or acted sinfully. That would be true. No newborn is actively rebellious against God. takes a few years down the road and you want to put them in jail. They're so sinful. But when they're newborns, they have not acted rebelliously against God. And Paul's response to this is this. The act of sin is not what makes one a sinner. The act of sin is not that which makes one a sinner and guilty before God. You see, that's how people think. People of the world, and oftentimes we in the church, begin to define sin and sinfulness by the wrong or bad sinful activity that's happening. And it's true. That is certainly happening. We are oftentimes acting poorly, acting wrongly, acting sinfully. But the reality of our guilt before God is only compounded by that. It isn't started by that. The reality of our guilt before God is because we are already, in the economy of God, considered sinners. The man likes to define it by the act because then they say, well, if I haven't done wrong or haven't acted badly, then how can I be labeled a sinner? And so oftentimes you will ask somebody, are you a sinner? Say, well, no, I I don't do that. I'm not this. I haven't murdered, haven't raped, whatever the myriad of lists of sins they want to list as those that are bad. That's why people give those responses. And we get caught thinking of sin in that way far too often. But when it comes to defining why we are sinners, Why we die. The Bible does not describe it by way of act. God declares that we act sinfully because we are sinners by way of our DNA. By way of our very makeup, who we are. In other words, we are sinners by nature because we were in Adam when he rebelled against God, and therefore, because of that, we act sinfully. We are sinners. And so we die. Now you notice how Paul puts this in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all Sin. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. It starts with the word therefore. 
normally when we see that word, we say, okay, therefore, what's that therefore? And it's typically there to show us that they're reiterating or explaining all that has come before, and yet that's not what Paul is using it here for. The original word, I think, is better, should be wherefore, because Paul is talking about a fact, a state of being. He isn't just really explaining what he has said in verses 1 through 11. Rather, he is, he is stating a fact to prove the absolute security of us being in Christ. This is a state of being of who you are before Christ. And he will get into chapter verse 15 through 21 of who we are in Christ and the state of being that we are. So this isn't a result of what has already been said before as a therefore would indicate. No, this is a state of being. He is contrasting our human DNA with the same reality in the spiritual realm of being in Christ, our spiritual DNA. And so in a similar way, that wherefore as sinners, he say, wherefore as sinners because of our being in Adam, we are going to die, and that proves that we are sinners because sin brought with it death. And we all are going to die, which shows that A is true. If B is true, then if we all are sinners, then we all are sinners, and we all are going to die. And all of that came by way of being in Adam. So too, as we will see next time, being in Christ proves that we are righteous and that eternal life comes with righteousness. In the same way that death came with sin, so too eternal life comes with righteousness. These are inevitable conditions. And so look at how Paul puts it in verse 12. Again, I'll just read it now with wherefore. He says, right, we have in verse 11, not only this, but we exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We talked about that last time. Wherefore, here's the condition, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. That's the condition. It isn't a result of our justification. This is a condition of which we were in prior to justification. So right here we have an explanation for why the world is the way it is. Sin entered into the world, it says. And death came with it. In other words, sin produces death. They are inextricably linked. If you're going to die, you must be a sinner. Sin is the parent, death is the child. And so the problem with our world is not a political problem. The problem with our world is not a moral problem. It is not even an economic problem. When you think about the problems in our world, the problems in our world cannot be fixed by new laws enacted so that the world and its people will treat one another with greater dignity and respect. How nice that would be if it was that easy. The problem cannot be fixed by that. The problem cannot even be fixed by isolating ourselves from others or isolating our families and our children from the rest of the world. 
kind of chuckle at that from time to time in, in a sad kind of way, thinking oftentimes parents will think that if they keep their children out of the world and keep the world out of all of their home and everything else, that their children will grow up to be these nice, moral, righteous people. And yet they fail to realize that they have more sin in their home than they ever would have had or ever thought they have because it only takes one sin to condemn the entire world. We're all sinners. We can't escape it. We cannot isolate ourselves out of the problem. The problem with the world, the problem with every man, woman, and child in this world is that sin entered in and death came through the door with sin. So as Paul states it here, death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. Because all sinned. I hope you hear clearly in your own spiritual ears those words. He does not say that all are acting sinfully. You notice that. One man, through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all were acting sinfully. Because when you're born, you begin to act sinfully. Because when it's your time to come into the world, you will act sinfully. No, no, no. He doesn't say it that way. He says, death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. A state of being. All sinned. All are sinners by way of condition. By way of who we are. Now remember that Paul is contrasting Adam with Jesus Christ. He says it right there at the end of verse 14, Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. There is a comparison going on in the mind of the Apostle Paul in unfolding this grand theological truth of the doctrine of original sin as we can view the doctrine and beauty of our justification. And he's comparing Adam with Jesus Christ and the results that come with being in one or being in the other. In other words, for us as Christians, our relationship to the one, Jesus Christ, is parallel to our relationship that we had with the other, Adam. You say, what do you mean fully? Well, I mean that what was true of us in Adam, what was true of us in Adam when Adam sinned? Guilt before God. We were guilty before God. Paul said, or uh, David said in in, uh Psalm 32 that I read this morning, He forgave the guilt of my sin. We are guilty in Adam because we were in Adam when he rebelled. That's how God constituted it. Adam was our representative head. When he sinned, we all sinned. The consequences fell upon us all. It's not uncommon to have that reality in the economy of God. Some would think, well, that's not fair. Well, that's how God has dealt with it throughout the ages. That's how God has always dealt with it. You see it in the Old Testament with Israel. When Achan sinned, Achan's the one who kept the spoil from Jericho and hid it under his tent, uh, and Ai got, uh, they, 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 they were defeated at, at Ai. Achan kept the spoil, and who was killed for it? Achan and his entire family. But those poor little children didn't sin. No, but they were, Achan was the federal head of that family. He sinned. They all suffered the consequences. It's what happened with Israel all along. This is how it was when Adam was created. 
we were in Adam when he rebelled. And in like manner, it's also true of us in Jesus Christ through his one act of righteousness that results in justification and life. In fact, notice verse 18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. He doesn't mean universally to everybody. He means to those who believe. That's clear from chapters 1 through 4. Neither one of those relationships have anything to do with our own attempts at morality. Neither one. So let me repeat it again. Paul says death spread, that is death permeated all of humanity like like a cold permeates and goes through a region quickly when, when one person is sick and they cough and touch hands with others and it quickly spreads to all people. Death permeated into the whole of humanity. Why? Because all sinned. That's how Paul puts it. So why do all men die? Because universally all men sinned in and with Adam. That's original sin. When we talk about the doctrine of original sin, we're not talking about the first sin you ever committed once you were culpable of your life before a holy God. We're talking about the sin that was by means of our own life when we were there with Adam. There's no room for anyone to squeeze their way out of it. If you're going to say that you will be in heaven without a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, then I will simply say, then why are you going to die? Death only comes upon sinners. And sinners only can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, who is the satisfaction of the penalty and the power of sin, and therefore you need Christ. You cannot get into the glories of heaven without going through Christ. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the door. Jesus said, I am the light. Jesus said, I am the bread. You cannot get there any other way. Christ has to be your righteousness. The proof of the fact that you need Christ is that you are going to die. The only payment for sin is death. And every human has that paycheck coming. And so verse 12 shows the universality of sin by means of the universality of death. It is our condition before we believe in Jesus Christ. And then we hear further explanation of this principle in verses 13 and 14. Just remember that principle. There is a universality of death because there's a universality of sin. That's the principle. All humanity is in it. And then Paul begins to further explain it here in verse 13 and 14. He begins to address what might be some some voiced contradictions. Notice what he says. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Now, you notice Paul says, for until the law, verse 13. 
it's obvious that there was something true. There was some universal reality in the condition of man before the law was ever given. Some people say, well, well, I didn't do that. Well, I haven't committed that. Well, I haven't acted in that way. Well, I didn't know. I, I was ignorant. Well, there was no law. Well, Paul is saying, listen, it's obvious that there was some universal condition taking place even though there wasn't a law. He's referencing the law given to Israel through Moses. From Adam to Moses, he said. So see, the argument that I have not acted sinfully in a certain way carries no argumentative weight before God. To say I have not lied, to say I haven't done that, to say I haven't done this, this, or this, or this, carries no argumentative weight in the courtroom of God. Why? Because even in the history of the world, from the beginning of time, when God had created the world, placed Adam and Eve in the garden, from that very beginning, when Adam fell, from the time of Genesis all the way to the early part of Exodus, where Moses comes on the scene and God actually gives them the Ten Commandments, from the fall of man in the Garden of Eden to the giving of that law through Moses, the giving of the do's and don'ts in knowledge... Something was still universally true with all mankind. If sin was based upon the act, it certainly wouldn't have been true back when there was no law. But there was something still universally true of all mankind. And what was it? Verse 14 says it. Death reigned. Even though there wasn't a law in the world, even though sin isn't imputed where there is no law, We'll talk about that in a minute. Nevertheless, death still reigned. And since death was reigning, you know sin was reigning. Only sinners die. You go back to Genesis and you read through the Genesis account in chapter 5 and you notice the same phrase at the end of every single person, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. They all were dying. So during that time in the history of the world, even though there was no official law, sin was still in the world. How do we know? Because death reigned. So we see what Paul is doing. Paul is dismantling the idea of defining sin by an act. It certainly is an act, but you cannot define the reality of the condition of sin by an act. If you do that, it's easy to squeeze out of it. But God doesn't define it that way. God doesn't define sin by the reality of an act. It's easy for someone to say, well, I haven't done that. I'm better than that person because I haven't sinned like they have. Well, well, isn't that nice, Paul? I didn't sin like Adam sinned. In fact, I've heard foolishness even being said sometimes in evangelicalism is said, if I was in the garden, I wouldn't have done what Adam did. Yeah, you would have. Yes, you would have. You see, many today are just like many of the Jews to whom Paul is addressing. They had a very hard time thinking about sin apart from an act of disobedience. 
apart from reference to a law, to a command, thou shalt not and thou shalt. And yet this is the very reality of what took place in the garden with Adam. God said to Adam, you shall not touch, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam did. That was the command of God. That was the law of God for the garden. Cultivate the garden, eat of anything you want, but of that tree you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you will what? Surely die. And even though God had not given further command through the time of Adam all the way up to Moses, men still died. Death is reigning. Nevertheless, death reigned. In other words, everybody then, as now, is born in that state. We are born in a state of sin. In fact, as Paul says, or I mean, as, as David says, he was conceived in iniquity. In other words, even when he's formed in the womb, that reality is upon each one of us. And we show the reality of our state by the acts of sin that we do. So Paul is telling us that Adam's sin and the penalty for it has been imputed to all of us. It has been imputed to all of us. And it has to be that way. Otherwise, justification is based upon how we act. Because righteousness is imputed to us, not based upon how we act. And this is a comparison between what we have been given by being in Adam and what we get when we are in Christ, even if we do not act out our sin in the same way or even at all, which is the case of a newborn child, we are still guilty. So Paul says that sin was in the world before the law was ever given. Why? Because it was imputed from Adam was imputed from Adam. Why did the people who did not have the law die? Why did death reign from Adam to Moses? Because the sin, the guilt of the sin was imputed to all of us. God, throughout the Old Testament, punished sin in some very cataclysmic ways. In fact, he flooded the earth one time in order to destroy sin. People were counted as sinners. They were dealt with as sinners. They died because they all sinned in the original sin of Adam. Let me say it this way. Our sin nature is not what condemns us before God. Some of you may go, wait a minute, this is sounding odd to me. The reality is our sin nature is not what condemns us before God. What condemns us before God is that the guilt of Adam's sin has been accounted to us by God. Why? Because Adam sinned and we were there. In the same way, and we'll see this next time, but I want to say it now, in the same way that God attributed the death of Christ when we have faith in Christ to our account so that we have His righteousness. We died with Him, it says. You weren't there, were you, physically? I wasn't. And yet God accounts it to us. The same way that Adam's sin and guilt was accounted to us. 
Christ's righteousness is accounted to us by faith. That gives us a whole new nature. And instead of acting out sinfulness, now we have the ability to act and live righteously. But our acceptance before God now is not based upon how we act. Our acceptance before God is based upon the righteousness of Christ alone imputed to us. Just as our guilt before God was based upon the guilt of Adam accounted to us. Through the one act of Adam and the one act of Jesus Christ. You see, and so Paul is saying all of that is true before the law was ever given through Moses. Nevertheless, death reigned even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. Sin, the act and the guilt associated with it, is not imputed where there is no law. You say, huh, then why? What, what is he talking about? Until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed. See that in verse 13, where there is no law. In other words, sinful acts and guilt associated is not put to the ledger. It's an accounting term. Imputation is an accounting term. It's not put to the ledger when there is no law to break. In other words, you can't break a law if there is no law. And yet, Paul says, death still reigned. So people were still guilty of sin, and yet there was no law that they willingly, knowledgeably rebelled against. So even though there was no knowledge of a given law after Adam to Moses, there still was guilt. Why? Because of Adam. Because of the imputation of his rebellion and guilt to everybody. In God's eyes, verse 12, all sin. All sin. You say, well, why the law then? Why did God give the law to Moses then? Verse 20 tells us. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. What does he mean by that? He he doesn't mean so that the, the actual sinning would increase. That was taking place. They just didn't know about it. What was increasing is their knowledge that they weren't doing what they should be doing and that they couldn't do it, and in fact, they didn't even want to do it. It's as if God had a had a pasture of green grass on it, and everybody's walking on it, and then one night everybody goes off the grass, and he puts a sign out that says, don't walk on the grass, and everybody comes out and says, yeah, watch this. I'm going to go walk on the grass. They were still guilty of walking on the grass before, but now they know it. Now they're aware of it. So Paul isn't saying in verse 13 that there wasn't any sin. Sin is happening. It's just that the intellectual knowledge of it was unknown. And so the law was given so that the action of sin was clear to everybody. Oh, you want me to prove that you're guilty and death isn't enough? Okay, here you go. So even though there was no law and even though some might argue that they had not sinned as Adam did. Death was still reigning. And therefore we know that sin was reigning because sin brings death. Why? 
Why is everybody sinning? Because of the imputed guilt of Adam to all. That's why verse 12 says all sin. All sin. We were there. So here's the conclusion I want to emphasize. I want to emphasize it so that we're prepared for next time. So that we're prepared in our hearts to be encouraged in the absolute security that we have in Christ. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. We can thank him when we see him. That's the only way in which we can see how death has come upon all humanity. That's the only answer for death. Why does everybody die, even those who have not acted sinfully, i.e., those who are mentally children or those who are children from the womb who have not acted in a, in a, a culpable way in sinning and rebelling against God? Why? Adam. I love people. Say, the devil made me do it. No, Adam. It's because of Adam. He's our father. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. It's our union with Adam. We were in Adam. That accounts for all the trouble in the world. We're in Adam. Therefore, in the same way, it is our union with Christ that accounts for our salvation. You don't want to be in Adam anymore. You want to be in Christ. When Adam sinned, we all sinned, and death and condemnation came upon all of us. Just as verse 16 says, For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. So Paul is emphasizing the one act of Adam, that one disobedience. The one act of Adam against our holy God, which has brought death and constituted all of us as sinners. So it's not simply that we have inherited a sinful nature. God has actually constituted us as sinners because of our relationship to Adam. The penalty for sin has come upon all of us in the form of death. So in the economy of God, the the wonderful mystery and majesty and wisdom of God, the doctrine of imputation runs both ways. Just as we were in Adam... And all of the guilt and consequences are ours through that relationship. So too being in Christ by faith ushers in all of the consequences. Righteousness and eternal life. And it's on that basis that Paul will exhort us all who know Christ in chapter 6 to not let sin reign in your mortal body. Why? Because it doesn't reflect who you are now in Christ. If you're having trouble understanding and wrapping your mind around this profoundness in this passage, I I just say this, welcome to the train.
the doctrines taught here are some of the most difficult to grasp in all of Scripture. How is it that God would have all of that? How is it that God would do all of that? The only answer sometimes we have is, I don't know, but He did. I believe it. It's the way it is. And praise God for Jesus Christ. So come back next time. And we'll learn more together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Lord, we know these truths are not confusing to you. We know in your eternal mind they are as clear as anything. Yet for us they can be confusing because they're so hard to to just grasp, to fathom rest in. Lord, help us to see ourselves before you as we ought. We don't know Jesus Christ by faith. We are in Adam, sinners, worthy of death. But as the psalmist said, how blessed is the man whom God does not impute iniquity. The only way that that happens is to have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ erase the guilt of the imputed fallenness of Adam. And while physical death may happen, eternal eternal death will not because we are in Christ. Lord, I pray there are those here who may be convicted by that reality. Maybe they don't know you. Maybe they've been struggling with eternal security because they're not sure they're saved. Because they just don't know Jesus Christ by faith. Father, help them to have their eyes clearly open, fully open to the truth of what the gospel means and how that ought to work itself out in their life. Those who are struggling with doubt because they're sinning, they're walking in sin, they're not allowing sin to be mortified in their life, starving it, they're entertaining it, and so they doubt whether they are saved. Lord, I trust that you would help them repent. Cause us all the glory and the reconciliation we have in Jesus Christ if we are truly saved. And those who do not know you, Lord, may they be convicted about the guilt they have before you that their day is coming and they ought to run to you now and beg for mercy. You might have grace upon their soul. Grant them faith in Jesus Christ, we pray in His name. Amen.